this be one of the best moments of your life. You're listening to the Business Mirror Podcast for a broader look on business with Senior Editor Dennis Estopase. Good day. Welcome to the Business Mirror BM Broader Look Podcast. Today we podcast the Broader Look story titled, Till Death Won't We Part, Philippines to Carry Weight of Borrowing Post-Duterte Regime. The story was written by Business Mirror reporter Kai Ordinario and was published on July 29, 2021. For the text version online, please go to the Business Mirror website and search for Broderlook. For the print edition, please read the Business Mirror newspaper. Let's get on with the story. The Philippines faces the danger of debilitating debt. Finance officials have said the country could see the ratio of debt to gross domestic product to tip the scale at around 58.7%. The borrowings were spurred by the inability of government to raise funds as the economy nearly tanked. About 70% of all economic activity ceased after strict lockdown measures were imposed in March last year. The quarantine restrictions continue and a deja vu of 2020 is imminent given the threat of the Delta variant and the continued increase in COVID-19 cases. Government had to seek financial support, something it received from multilateral lenders. Multilateral development banks have been part of the country's growth and development story for many decades. These organizations have provided much of the infrastructure that the country sees today through official development assistance or ODA grants and loans. As of June 2020, Data from the National Economic and Development Authority, or NEDA, showed the country has a total of $26.21 billion in ODA grants and loans. About $24.6 billion of these ODA are loans from various bilateral and multilateral organizations. The Asian Development Bank, or ADB, the World Bank, and the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, or AIIB, are the three top multilateral development banks the country relied on for its ODA loans and grants. Preliminary data from the NEDA showed that as of June last year, the country received $6.96 billion from the ADB, $4.9 billion from the World Bank, and $957.6 million from the AIIB. The Japanese government is the top source of ODA with commitments amounting to billion. The Philippines secured another loan from the ADB last July after the lender approved a $400 million policy-based loan to fund a program addressing youth employment. The program builds on nearly a decade of the ADB's support to the government in shortening the time that at-risk young Filipinos spend to find work after leaving school. The amount is on top of the existing loans the country has secured from the Asian Development Bank. Based on the 2019 ODA portfolio review, the Philippines already owed $5.6 billion from the Manila-based Multilateral Development Bank. That amount covered active loans as of December 2019. However, not all of these loans were signed by the Duterte administration. Of the amount of active loans as of the end of 2019, the Duterte administration signed on for $4.3 billion. 
Several loans were also granted by the Asian Development Bank to the Philippines in the years 2020 and 2021. Approved loans in 2020 amounted to $4.49 billion, or about 226.05 billion pesos at current exchange rates. The largest loans obtained were for the COVID-19 Active Response and Expenditure Support Program. The Asian Development Bank provided four loans for the project consisting of two $250 million worth loans and two loans worth $500 million each. With all these loans, the Philippines owes the Asian Development Bank a total of $9.19 billion, or around 462.67 billion pesos. This is composed of loans obtained by the Duterte administration since it assumed office in 2016 until July 2021. Meanwhile, the Philippines had a total of $4.25 billion worth of loans from the World Bank based on the 2019 ODA portfolio review. However, of these loans, those that were signed under the Duterte administration amounted to $1.59 billion. Since the end of December 2019, the World Bank approved another $5.04 billion worth of loans for the Philippines. This is based only on commitment amounts of the Washington-based lender on various projects. The Philippines owes the World Bank about $6.63 billion. As for the AIIB, the Philippines only has three loans. With this, the country owes the AIIB a total of $1.26 billion for three projects. All of these loans are just a fraction of what the government owes. There are other development partners who have extended significant amounts in loans to the country to undertake various projects and programs between 2016 and 2022 and even beyond. Part of the reason for the attraction of obtaining ODA loans is the concessional nature of these loans. This feature is crucial for countries like the Philippines to be able to have the ability and flexibility to repay these loans. ODA partners provide low interest rates and longer repayment periods with grace periods to boot. Some of the Philippines' bilateral partners, like the Japanese government, charge interest rates of below 1% and have repayment periods of 15 to as long as 40 years. This arrangement is sometimes on top of grace periods, years when the country doesn't need to pay for the loan, of 5 years to as much as 10 years, relative to the loan. The average loan maturity of ADB loans is anywhere from 24 years to 40 years with a grace period of 5 years to 10 years. The interest rates average anywhere from 1% to 2% during the grace period, while during amortization, the rate is an average of 1.5% to 2%. The World Bank, meanwhile, charges interest rates for loans obtained by the Philippines. These rates are contingent on maturity and the currency commitment. Some loans have a variable spread that are charged with a base interest rate, usually at LIBOR plus 0.46% to 0.96%. Loans that have a fixed spread are charged with a base interest rate, usually the LIBOR plus 0.70% to 1.5%. World Bank loans have a maximum final maturity of 30 years while the maximum average repayment maturity is pegged at 18 years. Based on the 2019 loan terms of the AIIB with the Philippines from the NEDA, the bank charges a base lending rate 
LIBOR plus additional 0.75% to 1.40% contingent on maturity. The AIIB also charges a one-time front-end fee at 0.25% on the committed loan amount. The commitment fee is 0.25% charge on the undisbursed loan balances. The commitment fee can increase if projects get delayed. This is not the first time the Philippines finds itself lifting a pile of debt. Back in the 1980s, the country experienced a debt crisis after the Marcos administration left billions in foreign borrowings in its wake. As a result, the country was forced to pay these decades after the ink dried on these loan agreements. However, Ebon Foundation Incorporated Executive Director Sunny Africa said the 60% debt-to-GDP ratio in 2022 is comparable to the Marcos administration's debt. However, he said it was smaller than peaks reached during the administrations of President Fidel V. Ramos and President Gloria Arroyo. Africa said the nature of the Duterte administration's debts is different from the Marcos-era borrowings. Those debts in the 1970s were unpayable since these were mostly foreign debts and had severe foreign exchange constraints. Africa said the debt today is not just more heavily domestic but there is also much more available foreign exchange for servicing the foreign debt, especially from overseas remittances. However, De La Salle University economist Maria Ella Opla said the level of debt incurred by the current administration may be even more than the Marcos administration's debt, even without taking into consideration the value of the peso. Oplas estimated that it may be more or less equivalent to combined debt of several administrations. However, she said the circumstances of obtaining these debts were certainly different. This is the first time the country experienced a pandemic, something that has not happened in a generation. This situation makes it impossible to compare the country's debts to those that were obtained before. According to Oplas, the country's debt ballooned because of the pandemic. So there is a huge disparity between the debt incurred by each president, not just by numbers alone. Oplas was right when she said none of the past presidents face a country in a pandemic. Freedom from Debt Coalition President Reneo of Reneo said that in 2019, the debt-to-GDP ratio was down to 39% after years of being prudent in borrowings. Ofreneo said after only 18 months into the pandemic, the country's debt-to-GDP ratio is nearly at 60% with over 2 trillion pesos worth of new debts added to the country's long list of borrowings. Freedom from Debt Coalition, or FDC, estimated by the end of 2020, the country had a debt bomb worth 9.8 trillion pesos. The organization estimated that after the first quarter of this year, debt-to-GDP ratio stood at 60.4%, a 16-year high. According to Ofreneo, Senator Franklin Drillon was partly correct when he said he's wondering why there are so many presidential aspirants when the big task facing the next administration is how to manage the debt and economic situation. Ofreneo said the bigger issue, of course, is how sustainable the debt situation is given an economy that has flattened. The debt service, principal and interest, is now over 1 trillion pesos a year, he added. 
Sony Africa said one worrisome impact of the country's debt is the possibility of increasing debt service. This will mean less revenues for pandemic response, health and educational services, and social protection that are all considered urgent at this time. Africa said undeclared austerity is a real danger. He added that the growing debt and debt servicing also raises the risk of further tax increases to raise revenues in order to pay these debts. This could, in turn, burden ordinary Filipinos, he said. This is why managing the debt is important, according to former Socioeconomic Planning Secretary Dante Canlas. Canlas said the fattened public debt due its Canlas said the fattened public debt due to its sheer size could out could crowd out much needed funds for other economic and social services. Debt servicing has gotten bigger. Debt servicing has gotten bigger, Canlas said. It is automatically integrated. It is automatically appropriated in the General Appropriations Act. Hence, debt service will crowd out economic and social spending like infrastructure, education, health and housing, and or shelter, Canlas told the business mayor. With the sheer amount of loans incurred by the Philippines, some economists believe declaring a debt monitor with the sheer amount of loans incurred by the Philippines, some economists believe declaring a debt moratorium could be an option to give the government the fiscal space it needs to respond to the financial challenges it will face in the coming years. The M word was the weapon of choice back in the 80s. The Marcos administration declared bankruptcy and imposed a 90-day debt moratorium on principal payments in 1983. Africa said a debt moratorium is always an option for countries. However, when it comes to the Duterte administration, it has already missed the opportunity to call for a moratorium, which should have been made as early as 2020, Africa said. However, Africa believes the government can rectify this by drawing up a respectable COVID-19 response and stimulus package and make the case that these are urgent for the people and will hasten economic recovery and revenue generation and then unilaterally declare debt moratorium as needed. However, he said these can be broad-based or selective, but in general cannot be negotiated as every creditor will tend to resist. The question is how and how long the Philippines could keep these creditors at bay. The Marcos administration's actions back in the 1980s unfortunately caused the economy to tank. The country's economic growth contracted 3.2% in the fourth quarter of 1983, around the time when Marcos declared bankruptcy in a 90-day debt moratorium. That quarter, 38 years ago, was the first of nine consecutive quarters when the economy would record contractions. The economy hit rock bottom in the third quarter of 1984 when GDP growth plunged 10.7% and again at a contraction of 10.5% in the first quarter of 1985. The impact on the economy is one of the dangers of declaring a debt moratorium. A debt moratorium can provide relief but its effect can only be a temporary one. Opla said while the Philippines can be granted a debt moratorium given its current credit standing, it would only delay the country's agony.
She believes the country is in a position to be granted with moratorium when asked. It has a good credit rating and the situation calls for it. Opla said sustainable efforts to address debts require attracting foreign direct investors and capitalizing on the original goals of the Build, Build, Build program. This is under the assumption that the economy will reopen, Opla said. She believes the elections in 2022 will also spur economic activity. For Union Bank Chief Economist Ruben Carlo Asuncion, one of the ways the country can safely address its indebtedness is to outgrow it. However, it will mean implementing unpopular measures and for Filipinos to swallow the bitter pill of the country's spendthrift ways. Asuncion told the Business Mirror that the International Monetary Fund classifies emerging and developing economies with total debt-to-GDP ratio of 70% to be at high risk of default. With the Philippines at total debt-to-GDP ratio of 60%, Asuncion believes there is still space, albeit a very limited one. According to Asuncion, if the government plays its cards right, growing out of debt is still possible in the medium term. Asuncion said, however, it should be noted, previous administrations have grown out of debt. There will be unpopular policies that have to be implemented though, Asuncion told the Business Mirror, and the next leaders should be ready to bite the bullet of unpopularity for the greater good, Asuncion added. Kanla said while the debt moratorium is not being discussed yet, but if the public debt worsens, this may be invoked. But generally, Kanla said the Philippines is hoping to grow out of its debt by growing at a great by growing at a rate greater than the interest rate. This is the reason that the actions of the Banco Central ng Pilipinas are also focused on low interest rates. This is part of the government policy's strategy as a consequence to managing the country's indebtedness, Canlas explained. However, Ofrenea said outgoing debt is an old normal strategy and may no longer be applicable. That is why proactive solutions are important at this point. Ofreneo emphasized. According to Ofreneo, the government should rebalance its economic policies, particularly when it comes to debts, stimulus spending and trade, among others. If we do not re- If the Philippines doesn't employ rebalancing and re-strategizing in the economy, its debts will balloon like in the 1980s, according to Ofreneo, and it shall be dependent and the Philippines shall be dependent once more on external creditors, with China's AIIB joining them and the say-so of narrow-minded economic technocrats, Ofreneo added. The decade of the 2020s will be another lost decade, he said. In 2020, the country lagged behind Vietnam, whose gross domestic product per capita in the 1980s was a fraction of the Philippines, Ofreneo warned. Africa said the most sustainable way out of these debts is to adopt a genuinely progressive tax system where the country's richest families will play a crucial role. Ibon and Freedom from Debt Coalition are advocating for the passage of a wealth tax. The FDC said a 1% wealth tax could help the government generate 316.55 billion pesos. That amount is based on 2019 data 
which stated that the total wealth is at 31.66 trillion pesos. A 2% tax per annum will generate 633.1 billion pesos, while a 3% tax will create additional government revenues worth 949.7 billion dollars. 949.7 billion pesos according to the organizations. The Freedom from Debt Coalition believes that if the wealth tax targets those with stock and banking accounts, the FDC believes that if the wealth tax targets those with stock and bank accounts who have 29.58 trillion pesos in stocks and transferable securities as well as time and savings deposits, the government could generate wealth tax revenues. The Freedom from Debt Coalition said that in 2019, some 30.66 trillion, 30 trillion pesos in financial wealth circulated in the Philippines. However, only about 30% of the population had access to 96% of this wealth. Of the 96% of wealth, the Freedom from Debt Coalition said, 13% is owned by only 40 families. Further, a total of 3 trillion pesos of this 13% is owned only by 300 individuals, FDC said. Those without bank accounts, the marginalized, laborers, etc. who make up 70% of the population have to share 1.4 trillion in cash. Africa said the country's richest families accumulate wealth and the largest corporations earn profits from the labors of their workers. Much of these, he said, are idle, unproductive, and just used to generate more financial wealth. Africa said direct taxes such as wealth tax and higher corporate income tax on large firms can be used to mobilize and spend these for social and economic development. But ultimately, according to OPLAS, the best way to address the country's debts is for Filipinos to vote wisely in the coming elections. The next administration will have to clean up the mess when it assumes office next year, OPLAS said. The next president, OPLAS imagines, may not be able to rest for the next six years. There will be no rest trying to solve this pandemic, no rest trying to pay for this huge debt, OPLAS said. But at least, this new president will not start from scratch, she added. Thank you for listening to the Business Mirror Podcast. For a broader look on business, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Business Mirror. Until next time.